This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This week's guest is the anonymous blogger Heretic Husband. He tells a story which begins in Catholicism and continues through evangelicalism and agnosticism. This story does include a discussion of spiritual and sexual abuse, so if that is triggering, please bear that in mind. You can read the Heretic Husband story at heretichusband.com, follow him on Twitter at heretichusband, and follow his Tumblr at hereticusband.tumblr.com. If you enjoy the show and want to support it, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Ratings and reviews increase the visibility of the show and will help us continue to grow our audience. As this tempestuous election season draws to a close, I think there will be more people looking for ways to explore ideas around faith and evangelicalism than before, so the more reviews we can get, the more people we have will have a chance to find this. You can also support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash exvangelicalpod. Follow the show on Twitter at exvangelicalpod. And follow the show on Instagram at exvangelicalpod. You can also follow me on Twitter at brchastain. You can find links to some of the things we talk about in the show notes as well. All right, let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to Exvangelical. Today I have with me a blogger who blogs anonymously under the uh, term Heretic Husband at heretichusband.com. And for the sake of an anonymity, I'm going to refer to him as Harry uh, throughout the podcast. Welcome, Harry. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks very much. Um, thanks for joining me. Uh, so let's let's kind of get started Um to get a little bit about your background, um, you mentioned on your on your website that you're actually brought up Catholic. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, um, Italian Catholic, uh, which is even worse. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, I was you know I was baptized. Gosh, when I was probably two weeks old. You know, the whole schmeal, uh, first penance, first communion, confirmation. Uh, but uh, after that, I sort of started to have my first serious doubts around late high school. Um, but, you know, I kept going to parent, uh, church with my parents every week. Uh, I didn't really have much of a choice with that. But then when I went to college, started reading atheist news groups on Usenet, which I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore, but that's how <laughs> you did that. That's what they had back then instead of message boards, really. Um you know, and of course, none of my friends in college were religious, and you know, we would talk about stuff like that from time to time, as I think everybody does in college. And uh, that was my first agnostic phase 
I guess you could say. Um, I, I never swung far enough to actually say, yes, I'm an atheist. I think I've just always been uncomfortable with certainty. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I can never say, you know, no, there's no God and anyone who believes in that is stupid. Um, I could see how it could make people do stupid things. I mean, you could, all all you have to do is open a history book to see that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so yeah, so then I met my wife or the woman who was going to be my wife in, uh, we started dating around junior year and I knew she was a Christian. Um, I knew, and then I found out fairly soon before we started dating that her dad was a Baptist pastor and, I didn't really know anything about Protestantism growing up. I had a couple of Protestant friends, but we never – my friends in high, high school, I never talked to religion about them at all. Um, I did have a best friend who was Unitarian Universalist. I didn't quite get that because he told me <laughs> – once he told me he went to see Rocky Horror Picture Show as part of a church activity, and I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> but I didn't really know anything about Protestantism. I, I – Oh, the one thing I knew, being Catholic, was that their beliefs on communion were not the same and that they didn't have a lot of the things like confession and a pope and all that. So I I thought I sort of looked at all Catholics as uh, – uh, sorry, all Protestants as Catholic light, like and not in a bad way. That's just the bucket I sort of filed it into my brain. And sure, you know, yeah. my, my wife and I started dating, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. It's pretty important to me. And I'm like, Christian? Okay. Like I, I had never heard it referred to – as being a Christian. Yeah, like I grew up in New England and it's, I mean, it has a reputation as a pretty unchurched area and rightly so in a lot of, in a lot of ways, either unchurched or Catholic. Um, so like, uh, like who calls themselves a Christian? Like you're either a Methodist or a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever. And she's like, no. And you know, I, I, you know, and she sort of explained, you know, the basics of how, you know, getting saved and all that. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, I, didn't really know what to make of it. I mean, it certainly sounded better than what I had heard growing up, which was sort of this confused jumble of, yes, you know, you do need to believe in Jesus. And uh, no one really said growing up that the Catholic Church was the one true church because they had sort of softened on that. Like, I'm sure a lot of people still believe that, but that's not the line I got in church or Sunday school or anything like that. Um but it was like, yeah, you should believe in Jesus and, you know, but, but, you know, you need to do good things too. Like you could go to hell for a myriad of things. Uh, if you, if you, if they were mortal sins, which meant that it, the punishment was hell and that you did not then go to confession to clear the mortal sin from your soul, which of course you tell a kid that and the first, you know, someone raises their hand to me, like, well, what if you rob a bank and then you get into a car accident after and you really wanted to go, you, you know, and you couldn't make it a confession and no one really has an answer for that. Um, and there Which, were venial, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, reading a little bit about on your side about that, um, that was very um, sort of enlightening um, just in the way you, you sort of describe Catholic guilt because there's also Protestant guilt. And oh yeah, yeah. I I didn't find out that until that until it was too late. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but um, I I found that very um very enlightening. I I grew up in Indiana before we my family mm-hmm. moved when I was in high school to the Chicago suburbs, and then suddenly I'm surrounded by a lot of people that happen to be Catholic, which just wasn't part of where I where 
my yeah. early youth was. Um, so for that to to kind of read what you were writing about as far as all those concerns about going to, going to hell and in yeah, relation yeah. to these um, trivialities, kind of <laughs> yeah, to to kind of cast a uh, a pall on it a little bit, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, right. But yeah, um, just like you you you're saying, and I think you had something similar on your site about all these sorts of this algebra you're trying to do in your head, yeah, re- yeah. relative to um to sin and forgiveness. So, yeah, it's just no one had a clear answer. Like, well, I want to go to heaven. What do I do? And they're like, well, you basically you be a good person and you just kind of hope you get in. And uh, I'm someone who suffers from anxiety. And uh, that gave me a lot of anxiety, even when I was in high school. Like, I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. And this is sort of a recurring theme in my life, or at least in my spiritual life. Like, I can't just except the fact, well, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and sort of let the rest of the stuff go. Like, I mean, my parents are, they're still Catholic, you know, and they go to church every Sunday and on what's called, you know, the Holy Days of Obligation, like uh, Feast of the Assumption and all that stuff. Like, you have to go to church. It's a mortal sin not to go to church. Mm-hmm. They do that. They don't eat meat on Fridays during Lent. My mom actually still does not eat meat on uh, Christmas Eve. Because that used to be a role. The church changed it, but she still follows that one. Um, and, you know, I mean, they they give what they can give. And then beyond that, meh. I mean, you know, my, my parents are good people, but they don't spend a lot of time worrying about all the other rules. Mm-hmm. Or is it me? I needed to make sure, like, okay, if you're going to tell me there's this place called heaven and this place called hell, I want to make sure I'm getting into heaven. Let's do this, you know? And, uh <sighs> It just finally got to be too much. Well, and I think getting some distance from it in college mm-hmm. really helped. But um, so anyway, when my wife explained the whole salvation thing from a Protestant point of view, I mean, I still wasn't really in a, I still wasn't even sure if I believed in God. But I'm like, oh wow, that seems that seems way easier. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just need to believe in Jesus, and and you know, I mean, we had like the textbook believer, unbeliever conversation. It was like, so you're saying that I could believe in Jesus and kill as many people as I want, but you know, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. She's like, and she gave the textbook answer. Well, yeah, but you know, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't want to do that stuff because Jesus changes you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And you know, she was at a point in her faith where she had all but walked away from it. Not entirely, but she, she had lived out in Oregon for a while, and she had experimented with Wicca and stuff like that. Like, never really seriously, but, you know, she had known some friends who were into it. And uh, so she was sort of at a point in her life where she didn't really care about it that much. But I think dating a guy sort of made her care about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I could walk you through the process that got me to where I, you know, said – my version of the sinner's prayer. I, I, I can't. I mean, that's one of the re- that's one of the things that prevents me from being a complete atheist today. I'm like, I know something weird happened at that point in my life because I I I cannot stress this this enough. I did not, or at least I did not believe that I was becoming a Christian for my wife. I'm not that kind of person. And I told her flat out when we dating, I'm like, you need to accept that this might never happen. Because I don't know if I if I, I, I'm like, you know, this doesn't make sense to me. I mean, other than the whole salvation thing sounding kind of nice. I mean, I'm like, like, why would I choose Christianity over any other religion? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I did get to that point. Like, I, I, I don't really have an explanation for it. Um, you know, I, I started going to church with her once in a while. You know, we sort of church shopped a little bit when we were dating, and it was interesting. Um, but I just, I sort of like felt the attraction to that belief system or to Jesus, whatever you want to call it. Um, until, you know, finally one day I was at home. I was, I was in the shower of all places. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, like, God, I want this. I, I, I want to be saved, you know? And I, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, wait, am I a Christian now? And I'm like, no, no, I can't be. No, wait, no, I think I am. I think I am. So, you know, I called my wife and told her she was ecstatic, of course. And um, so I started wanting to go to church. Like, not it didn't have to be any particular church. I'm like, oh, I should I should try this. And she was like, oh, that's great. I'll, I'm, I'm going to sleep in, but you have fun. <laughs> so we were living in Massachusetts at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tried all the local flavors. And we wound up at this uh, uh, United Church of Christ church. Uh, one town over there. They're pretty liberal, but they had a female pastor, which my wife liked. My wife is a diehard feminist. And uh, I, I think what I, I've seen this a few times where women get ordained and they're fairly conservative theologically, but they can't get a job at a conservative church because conservative churches don't hire women as pastors. So they wind up pastoring the denomination that's more liberal than they were. So I think that sort of made it a good combination for my wife because she, it wasn't too. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I guess the term it, it, it uses watered down. Like it, it it sounded like what she was used to hearing, but from a woman, you know. And uh, we went there until I I got laid off from my job. Uh, I'm a software developer, and I graduated just as the dot com bubble was bursting. Not <laughs> a good time. So I got laid off. We moved to Iowa, which is where her family was living, and <clears throat> her parents rented us a house for. Uh, next to nothing, just the cost of the mortgage, um, and which in Iowa is really next to nothing. And uh, we live, we lived there for two years. We didn't have a church that we went to regularly the entire because my wife will not go to any church where her father is a pastor. So her father is like he is the most typical like fire and brimstone conservative Republican Baptist pastor you can just about possibly imagine. He, his denomination is actually called General Regular Baptists, you know, which sounds like a really fun bunch. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. I know <laughs> it's small. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's a, a, I know like Southern Baptists, Free Will Baptists, and that's a new one. For yeah, me. I know there's uh, lots of. I, I never heard of Free Will Baptists until you just messaged it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they're 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 a very small group. Um, and you know, so I don't. I never really. I I have heard him preach because a few times early on we were dating she would she would she would still go occasionally she'd usually be pissed by the time he was done but she would still go like but she was a pastor's kid and you know she got she got to see behind the curtain like not mm-hmm. just what happened on Sunday morning like she would see like her, her mom trying to get her and her four siblings ready for church and you know the whole family's like squabbling and yelling and then you know her dad has to go on and be like. Hey, put on the smiley face and pretend yeah. everything's okay, which I don't even, I mean, that's just part of the job and you're a pastor. I think I don't, yeah. I don't even blame I'm, him for that, but, uh, I'm married to a PK too. So, I, <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, uh, I mean, it's a very unique way to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, 
but you know, by the time we got married, I mean, I won't say her father had mellowed. He's still hardcore conservative Republican turn or burn type, but he had kind of mellowed from what she described growing up. Like, I mean, from what my wife has described, I mean, she grew up in an abusive home. I mean, not the, not the, it, I mean, it wasn't like her parents like beat her constantly or anything like that, but it was a lot of verbal abuse from her dad, some physical abuse, especially when she was older. It it was really rough, but, but, um, she has a younger brother that's two years older than her. And then there's a group of three siblings who are all within a year or two of each other, and they're about 10 years, 10 to 12 years younger than her. So it's almost like there were two families, k- kind of. Like, that were not two families. Sorry, that's a, bad exa- that's a bad way of saying it. But two different experiences of the parents. Like her and her immediate brother got the, the really strict, really, really bad version, whereas the kids got kind of a little watered down. Not much, but... They had mellowed on some stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. so, I mean, her dad is just I, – I had never met anybody like him before. Like he he always seemed happy except when he was angry, which should have been a warning sign. But again, I was just kind of young and naive. I'm like, oh, this seems like a really nice guy. I mean I believed everything she told me about him from when they were growing up. I'm like, well, you know, maybe he's changed or something like that. Like they say, she says Jesus changes people. So maybe, maybe that's what's happening. I, I don't even know that I thought it through that far, but he just, he seemed really nice. And he liked me. He's like, you know, I wish you were a Christian if you're going to date my daughter, but I'd like you. I mean, he didn't treat me badly because of it. I mean, he talked to me about it and I, I told him how I felt. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm an agnostic. And he walked me through the Romans road and all this stuff. And, uh, but anyway, so we're living – we lived in Iowa for a couple of years. Um, eventually, we moved back here because uh, I got another job uh, in my industry. And then we, that's when we started attending an evangelical church regularly, one town over from us. And um, you know, we, we got involved. We attended a small group. We became really close friends with the, the small group, the, the couple that ran the small group. Um, they live in the same town as we do. And, I mean, everything was going – Pretty well. I mean, my wife's my wife liked our church. I mean, she had a problem with their views on women, but it, not enough to make her stop going. You know, and we I think the thing that really clinched is that we really liked our small group. And from what I from what I can piece together from some stuff that happened later on, I think we I think our group sort of insulated us from a lot of the the bad stuff in our church. I don't I don't it, it was just it was just different. Like, yeah. I mean, the couple that ran it, I mean, they obviously they attended that church. They had a lot of the same beliefs, but I don't think they were quite as into it as some of the leadership was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, it all started, gosh, probably what, five or six years ago now, geez, where, um, so I had become assistant small group leader. And so, you know, I was at all the meetings and stuff. So they called a meeting and they said um, that our worship pastor had been having an affair with one of the women in the worship group. I'm like, wow. It was just, it was, it was like a death in the family almost. Um, I mean, we, uh, sorry, sorry, what? One quick question. How, how, uh, how large was the church? 
Was it a smaller church or was it a... It, it wasn't tiny. It wasn't... A, I would say at its height, maybe like five or 600. Oh, okay. So but pretty not, sizable. But not, yeah, but not all of them attending. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had three services on Sunday. Um, so yeah, it, it, it wasn't a mega, but it wasn't a tiny one either. Um, yeah, sorry. So So, So, yeah, you, uh, you no problem. uh, So, um, you were part of this leadership, um, meeting where they said the worship pastor was having an affair. Yes. So, I mean, it didn't come as a total shock. I mean, I mean, we knew that they, that they were close as friends, but we never thought it was anything more than that. Um, so, you know, he lost his job, um, and, you know, I mean, they let his, he was living in church housing. So, you know, they let him, I think, finish out the year and that before he had to look for someplace else to live. Um, and I, I think at the time, I mean, it seemed like they handled it pretty well. They, you know, they interviewed everyone he had worked with. So it came out that he had an affair with another woman on the worship team a few years ago. Um, but the two of them and their respective spouses got together, had a meeting, decided that the church didn't need to know that they were just going to, it was between them and God and it was over. And that was that. Um, so there were two affairs now that we had heard of. And so they, they, they formed, uh, yeah, they formed a committee to do the investigation. It was made up of people within the church. Um, but I mean, it seemed like they were taking it really seriously. Like they let the congregation know, like once they they didn't, as soon as anything was verified, they let the conversation know after letting, you know, letting the leadership know a little bit before that. Um, I mean, it seemed like they were serious about it and wanting to change and all that. So, you know, it, we, we moved past it. I mean, we, we didn't leave the church because we, I mean, we figured, you know, Hey, nobody's perfect. And it seems like they're, they've dealt with the situation. So we stayed. Then, the next thing was that um, it came out that my father-in-law had molested one of my brothers-in-law um, when he was. Uh, well, I think he I, he was still a, he was still a teenager when we found out. Jeez, um, but when he was a little younger, uh, so that was another you know huge mess. And uh, do these things overlap? You're having these, or or in rapid uh, succession, pretty rapid success. Like within, I, oh god, it's all such a blur now. But I'm pretty sure that the affair and the uncovering of the molestation happened at least within a year of each other. Wow. I mean, we had so we had sort of moved past the affair, but then it was like this came like wham, you know, and uh, I just I was just angry, and of course, you know, we have this. It's his father, my father-in-law, doesn't see why he needs to tell his church about this at all. Oh, well, it happened before I was a pastor there. It's fine. Like, are are you kidding me? So, you know, my my wife was really upset about it. She wrote him a letter. She talked to him about it. Just couldn't make him see reason. So, finally, he they are they're coming after visit. They're like, well, we'll talk. My wife was seeing a therapist, a, a Christian therapist, and they agreed to talk to the therapist with us. And, you know, while we're waiting for that to happen, I'm just getting angrier and angrier at God. Like, like how, how can, how can someone who says they're a loving God, let this happen? I mean, really (laughs) it's weird because I was very comfortable with bad things, with God letting bad things happen when they weren't happening to me. I mean, not that I thought of it that way, but it's just, it's just different when it's not, when it's not 
when they're not happening to you. Like, it's a lot easier to say, like, God works in mysterious ways when it's just someone you don't know. But this was the first real, like, this is the first real trauma I had ever been through. And it wasn't even happening directly to me. I mean, I wasn't the one who was molested. Um, Not even my wife was the one, but it was her brother. It was her little brother. It, it was by her father. Um, So I just... I just I just got to the point where like I all my questions from college just came flooding back. Like I think it always kind of been there, but it was like one section of my personality sort of reasserted itself after like I'd been a Christian for ten years when this when all this happened. And, it, and not to say the doubts ever fully went away. I mean, I like I said, I'm I'm not super comfortable with certainty. I mean, you know. People would say, like, oh, God answered this prayer, and I'll be like, oh, oh, well, that's great, and thinking to myself, like, well, you don't know that's what happened. Like, maybe that would have happened even if you hadn't prayed. Then I would just feel guilty for thinking that, you know, that Protestant guilt that you referred to earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was never big on, like, witnessing the people, and that's partly because I'm an introvert, but partly because I'm like, I'm like, am I really going to go to heaven when I die? Like, I think about it, and I'll be like, it's, like am my soul really going to separate from my body and go somewhere when I die? Do I really believe that? And I did. At the time, but the, the doubt was still there, you know. Um, so anyway, they come out for this meeting, and my faith is pretty shaken up. And, you know, my wife said, why don't you go talk to our pastor? I'm like, uh, all right. And, I mean, he, he's a nice guy, but, I mean, basically he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this happens to everybody. You'll get through it. I mean, not, not quite that flip, but, I mean, that was the gist of it. And, I mean, really, what can you say in that situation? Like, like there is no answer to the question of why God allows bad things to happen. There, there, there just isn't. I mean, people have been wrestling for that since people started believing in God. Uh, but, um, but anyway, whatever he said, it did not help. Then we went to the meeting, and my father-in-law was just – just unbelievable, like comparing himself to King David, who was tempted beyond measure. And he just, you know, like blaming his blaming his son for what had happened because, oh, you know, well, he's the one who got into bed with me. Like, are you kidding me? Like I was <laughs> up in his face screaming like someone. So the counselor's office we were in had multiple counselors and someone had to come in and say, you know, other people can hear you. Could you please? So like I had to like take a break where I like went and punched a wall and cursed a lot and then managed to go back and finish the meeting. And my pastor, our pastor, the same one I had talked to was in the meeting, didn't really say a whole lot. And then at the end was kind of like, like my, cause our, my in-laws refused to go to any sort of counseling other than this thing called newfetic counseling, which is biblically based counseling. And it's just, it just, I mean, I mean, I've, I've never been to one obviously, but um, I mean, they, they went, he went to this counselor a few times. His counselor was, couldn't even give him a clear answer. Like, like, do you need to tell your church? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. Like, well, if you have to think about that, like, then I don't trust you as a counselor. I'm sorry. You need to find another job. So, I mean, it's just, I was just like screaming in his face. He's like, well, the Bible says, I'm like, I don't give a. You can swear. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's the one I thing won't... I forgot to ask. No, yeah, you can swear. It's fine. I said, I don't give a fuck what the Bible says. He's like, he looks at me. He's like, no, well, I think you've made that very clear. Like, I, I mean, I, I do lose my temper on occasion, but it's rare. And I was just in, this was the angriest I've ever been in my life. So we sort of ended the meeting on, well, we'll think about whether or not we're going to do anything, which was my pastor's way of just getting out of dealing with the conflict. Like, 
again, he's a very nice guy, but this was one of the problems that became evident when they started doing this investigation and people started talking about like he just does not handle conflict well. And he's the head pastor, like which I, I get it. I hate conflict and the but you can't have that kind of job if you're not going to deal with conflict. You know, like I'm a software engineer. I don't have to deal with conflict if I don't want to. It, it just, it's just not an issue, but like, dude, you're a pastor. Like it, anyway, so the meeting was a complete disaster, but ended at least on civil terms. Like I had calmed down and we sort of made up and I thought maybe they would actually think about it and do something. No, they never did. We finished out the visit. They never mentioned it again. They have done nothing. So they're dead to me as far as I'm concerned, except, of course, for the fact that they're my in-laws. So I still have to play nice with them, which I which is not easy for me because I hate it because I feel like I'm being a phony. But the way I think of it is I'm doing it for my wife and to a lesser extent for my kids who are not allowed to be alone with him ever. Um, We have three. We have three daughters. The oldest is uh, is eight years old. So, I mean, I play nice when they visit and that's about it. Um, so after that, the next thing that happened and I, and again, this is where it gets unclear. Oh no, wait, no, sorry. I know. I do know. I, we, I had, we had stopped going to church there and then it came out that the youth pastor got a divorce, which I mean, of all things like a divorce, like, okay, divorces happen, whatever. But, um, the the way they handled it was not good. There's actually a post about this on my blog where I, I, I published the letter that they sent out to the congregation, changing the names, obviously. Um, like they, I mean, the tone of the letter, it, it, they basically threw the wife under the bus. I mean, they didn't quite come out and say that, but that's what happened. Um, and oddly enough, <laughs> I never meant for anyone at church to find my blog, but some people did. And um, both the youth pastor and his wife read that post and kind of agreed with it. Um, <laughs> because, I, I mean, at that point, like the youth, they, they sent out the letter like the youth pastor didn't have anything to say about it. I mean, he was in hot water because of all this. Um, I think I, I can't remember if he's still there or not. There or not so I don't want to comment on that. Um, I want to say he is, but I'm not sure. But I mean, anyway, I mean, compared to the affair, I mean that that wasn't as bad. It was just it was just the way it was handled that really ticked me off. Um, and then on top of that, then the administrative pastor, who was second in command, sort of. I, I still to this day don't know exactly what happened. Only there was some type of impropriety between him and his assistant, not sexual. We were they they were told, but um, the assistant was let go. Okay, so I don't know if it was some kind of emotional affair or what, but another thing that came out of the investigation is that this guy, the administrative pastor, was pretty toxic in the way that he dealt with people and just was manipulative and shaming and all around not good. That led to the church bringing in an outside – I guess there's these sort of like consulting agencies that consult with churches and about like what they could do better. And again, at at this point, I'm not attending – uh, our small group leaders and uh, there is no small group anymore. It's broken up. They're not attending. So, I mean, anything I, anything I hear on this is like second or third hand, but uh, they got this investigation done and said that they were, well, we're willing to resign, you know, if that's what they admit. And I, no one has resigned. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if anything's changed. I, I have no idea. I know that they've gone down to two services from three. That's about it. But um, as far as I know, all this, all the same pastors are still there. So and it they, was, and 
<laughs> they brought in an Accenture to Accenture for churches to do some sort of con- consulting. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and, they they knew enough to bring it in, but I don't. And I I from what I understand, this it's not like this committee went through and like, yeah, guys, doing a great job. Uh, that was not it. But um, I, I I don't know how much, if anything, has changed because I'm I'm just not a part of that community anymore. I would suspect nothing has changed, but. I'm cynical in case that wasn't evident from my blog. <laughs> and is that a non-denominational <laughs> church or an um, it's church? Called, or? It's called – it has evangelical in the name and they okay. are – they're part of a Baptist group. But that – I mean other than like they get like material from them, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. There's no real oversight. Uh, but um, they no, they didn't stress the independent thing too much. Gotcha. Um, so <sighs> – then that that led to me forming the blog because I'm a writer in my you know in my spare time, um, and I I don't even I I just decided one day to do it. I kind of always wanted a a blog or something like that. Um, I, I wrote up a few posts one day and showed it to the wife of our former small group leader. She's like, "That's really good. I think you should publish that." So, you know, I published the first few posts under the my story tag and. Um, I I got pretty involved in Twitter and all that. I I don't know how much you're on Twitter. I'm on it too much. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me at one point. I'm. It's just it's like drinking from a fire hose, as you know. And you know, <laughs> I just got into this. It was it was like scandal of the week over like which evangelical dude said this or did that, and I'd write a post about it sometimes. And yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, it was cathartic for me. Um, it just reached a point where I. Just the fire sort of burned out for me, and I feel like I, I've told my story, most of it. I don't, I don't feel the need to like comment on everything Mark Driscoll says anymore, although I, I don't judge people who do. I think there's definitely a place for that, and I think it's good. Um, part of it is also that I think just the online mindset has changed a lot. Like A lot of the people I follow who talked about religion – they don't really talk about that anymore because everybody's talking about you know Black Lives Matter and Donald Trump and all that stuff, which is totally fine. Those are important topics, but it just just the, the sort of I don't know the the landscape, if you will, of Twitter sort of changed. And I also feel like people aren't on Twitter as much anymore. But maybe that's because I'm bitter because I don't get retweeted as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so I I haven't really blogged anymore. I've I've thought about picking it up, but honestly, I, what I want to do is write fiction. And I have three kids, a full time job. I don't, and you know, I barely have time to do that. So to find time to write blog posts on top of that, when I'm not even, when I don't even feel a huge need to do it, I I, I just don't have time right now. But I I may get back to it at some point. I don't know. But um, so right now uh. We attend an Episcopalian church, which is funny because this is a church in the same town as our old church, and it made the news because uh, – well, not, it made the local news because of when there was the split in the evangelical church over uh, – or the ordainment of gay bishops or priests or whatever, the, our, our current church is the one who was on the side of ordaining them, and uh, – the other people actually formed a church in exile within our old church. They used to meet in the basement. We let them meet in there. Um, so we're now attending the church that people at our church judge for being too liberal. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the thing is, it's like, I, for me, it reminds me so much of the Catholic services that I'm just like, I just, 
I, right. I just can't. I, I just can't. Like, I, I go because it's important to my wife. And I, the people are nice. There's nothing offensive in any of the sermons. It's just like, I don't know if the the part of my brain that processes ritual and imagery either doesn't work correctly or has been burned out after 18 years of Catholicism. I'm just like, <laughs> uh, this, is, this is just why, why are we doing – and again, if, if people who find meaning out of that with my wife, that's great. I don't, I don't judge. I don't think I'm better than them. It just doesn't work for me. So <laughs> yeah. my, my wife started doing the coffee hour. She took over handling that, and you know it's a, it's a very small church now. There's probably like the service we go to about 25 people tops. Um, so she wound up doing coffee hour a lot of weeks by herself because nobody signed up. And I started helping her with it, and I realized I'm like, oh, if I'm doing coffee hour, I don't have to go to church. <laughs> I mean, I was in the kitchen doing stuff, and so we sort of fell into this pattern where it just sort of understood like I'd handle coffee hour, and she'd go to church, and I'd show up for communion in the last five or ten minutes. I'm like, oh, this is good. And then, um, <laughs> so finally I said to her one day, I'm like, what if I just, cause she said, I can't do coffee IR anymore. This is too much. I'm like, oh no. And I said to her, well, what if I just did it? And she's like, you want to do that? I'm like, I'm like, I was honest with her. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't have to go to church, but I'm still there. So it's like, it's not like, I mean, not exactly like she's by herself. I mean, she sort of is, but I'm there participating in something. She's like. Okay, yeah, we can give that a shot. So now I'm like the unofficial coffee hour person at our church, which I just find very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it 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 works for us right now, so we'll we'll keep going with that. And as far I mean, as far as what I believe, I mean, I, I, I it's funny because I find myself in the same position. I can't say I'm an atheist. I mean, I I I sympathize with atheists. I don't blame them for for their beliefs. And on some days I agree with them, but I just have this theist part of my brain that can't let go. You know, I mean, like I, I, I can see how people say, you know, like, well, obviously people just invented God because we're just apes who evolved and could tell we were going to die. And it scared us. So we invented God in this place called heaven. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But then, you know, you know, you look at the, just the complexity found in the universe, I'm like, come on, this is really all an accident. Come on, there's, there's just no way. So I, I don't really, I mean, I'm not really a Christian anymore. I don't belong to any particular faith or creed. I mean, I don't consider myself an Episcopalian, even though we are actually officially members of the church. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just, I don't know what I believe, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I, I. I used to fear doubt, and now, like, doubt is, like, all I have. But I feel like I feel like when you're certain about stuff, or not, like I said, I'm never super comfortable with certainty, but, you know, when I, when I was as certain as I was, it felt good. I mean, people, we like to be, we like to know what's going on, feel like we maybe not have control over it, but, like, well, yeah, I know what's happening. I'm, I'm on the right side of this, but, uh. Anything that challenges that is very scary. Whereas, I mean, when you doubt, I mean, anything you can't really you can't really get too shooken up. I mean, it's like it's like it's like you know buildings that they design to resist earthquakes. You're like, yeah, you know, you'll sort of shake and wobble, but at the end day, you're like, yeah, well, maybe I'm wrong, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I mean that that that's a very comforting feeling to me, at least. And I mean. Beyond that, I mean, 
it it just yeah and i think there's a i think there's a lot there i mean i think um kind of in the way you 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 had like a series of traumatic things happen to you and there are also people that that represent the faith you were a part of um yeah and when that happens it's really very easy um to feel angry and it's justified to feel angry and then like after that i think one of the things that should be kind of understood and accepted is that a lot of times that requires distancing yourself um yeah when you were talking about your experience at this evangelical church um i it really resonated with me um we have my wife and i we have a uh she's she's we have one daughter she's four now um but we were going to a basically independent um independent church and we loved it because of our small group, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> like we, yeah. um, I grew up United Methodist, which always ordained women. Um, yep. my wife grew up, uh, PK in a more conservative denomination, but it was still within that, um, within that tradition, so to speak. Um, but mm-hmm. they, women pastors weren't really the norm. We, right. we, by virtue of just friend circles and a couple other things, we get really involved in this church, they have a very uh, that kind of BS term complementarianism <laughs> that uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I, I don't know if you read my post about that but I, 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 I have one I haven't I haven't read that one yet but but yeah that's a that's a bad word and a bad yeah. system uh, but anyways <laughs> I um when we're part of this complementarian church and as our daughter gets a little older we actually talk to our uh, like our pastor and uh yeah <clears throat> anyways they tried it we we tell them that we're egalitarian etc cetera, etc cetera. they're initially they're like yeah you can leave basically sorry oh. we're not going to change our position we were on the worship team etc we were involved we were very involved yeah and it was a small church like probably less than 100 people attended regularly in like you know like a school gym um, but anyways, all these things, all these things happen and eventually we're kind of coerced to leave. Um, right. Even though, um, and it's all about, it, it's, it was definitely all about control, about maintaining the norm, about right. um, all these things. And we were burned. Like, I mean, these were, there was a small church and we knew most of the people pretty, pretty well. And then all of a sudden that, that support system gone because, yeah are because the person uh the initial lead pastor left um because of uh because of like a family member was ill and they kind of went to make sure that that family member was okay another person kind of rose up and became the pastor through not the best of means um and that person was our friend and he was essentially the one that coerced us to leave we were angry for we didn't go to church basically for like two years and we still haven't found like we still haven't found a place to like go regularly but oddly enough yeah there's some good like episcopal churches in chicago in the chicago area where we live so that's kind of where where we're leaning towards right now yeah but uh, <laughs> um i mean for a church that was founded because henry the eighth needed a divorce uh, they're doing <laughs> <all>. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, I mean, really, that's your that's your religious heritage <laughs> when you're Anglican. But whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, um, uh, what was where was I? Uh, anyways, um, yeah, we 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 were upset and kind of didn't force trying to get right into a church. So I think kind of where you know where you are now makes sense for what you experienced all those years right. ago. And yeah. I I think that being comfortable with that is um and also moving to a not necessarily a place of you're not someone neg- would negatively might describe it as complacency, but it's just not like you're, you're the the angry fire isn't burning anymore and that's probably yeah. a good thing, you know. Yeah. Um to be in that spot. So um so yeah, I, I, where you are now, like that's where you're comfortable. But but, I mean, yeah. Also, that very same idea of not being able to go full blown atheist or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you know that that makes sense. With um, it just yeah, some people just have a leaning, and it's just always kind of kind of be a leaning. And um, for me, I have uh. I have like a, a low grade version of epilepsy. So I don't know what my brain chemistry okay. is like telling me like Dostoevsky was a, he was an epileptic too. And he wrote wonderful uh, stuff that literature that involved Christian themes. And was it cause his brain chemistry was weird? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Yeah. I, uh, um, that, oh, that was, that was actually a thing I, I didn't touch on, but um, I got on medication for anxiety. <sighs> Let me think. Was that after everything happened? No, no, it wasn't because I was seeing a Christian counselor who advised me to get on medication. So no, that that was before things started happening. And um, all that, you know, people always said, oh, Jesus will give you peace. And it kind of did. I mean, I used religion to manage my anxiety for a while, but um, then I was on the medication. I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, this is what people must have been talking about. And, you know, so uh, I'm on medication for that and for mild depression as well. So I'm not going to say that. I mean, that wasn't really instrumental in me losing my faith, I don't think, because of all the other stuff was happening. But it also, I mean, yeah. it added to it, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean about, like, not knowing, kind of not knowing where the line between me and my brain chemistry is sometimes. I mean. Yeah. yeah, and that's it, that's it's, another, it's weird. Yeah, and that's another thing where you just kind of have to be comfortable with the not knowing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so right now you do kind of do. I mean, there's a lot I'd I'd love to sort of unpack about all the things you you um you mentioned. Um, but let's let's start uh, kind of again right right near where where you left off. You you sure. feel um you feel comfortable describing yourself as an agnostic. Um, yeah. And that's, you've, you've kind of been in that space for a while. How does that affect, um, how does it affect your, your, your marriage and also sort of, uh, what you're, what you're trying to teach your, your children? Because to me, that's an open question too. Uh, yeah. I don't, um, I, like I mentioned, I grew up United Methodist. I'm, I'm fairly, uh, comfortable with that tradition. I think they toe the line. They're, they're pretty mainline. They're pretty open. I'd be happy with that. Um, but, uh, but I mean, another part of me doesn't 
<laughs> I'm not like over yeah. the I'm not over the moon in, in extending that tradition through my through my child. So I yeah, um, no. I hear you. <laughs> so it, I mean growing up Catholic and then now going uh you know, you've you've had both the Starbucks and the Dunkin' Donuts of the church. <laughs> Well, that's, can I, can I, do I have permission to use that line? <laughs> yes, I, I like that one. Um, <laughs> you've had the two major flavors. You've had, yeah. Yeah. You, so you, you've had evangelical, at least in the United States, you've had yeah, yeah. Catholic and um, evangelical. So, well, it's definitely, it's, it's been hard on our marriage. Um, I mean, my wife's great and she didn't, she did not try to push me. I mean, I, it, let's, or I, but let me put this way, she probably wanted to push way way more than she actually did which was almost not i mean she made it clear how she felt and that this was hard for her but she just didn't have i mean obviously we went through all this stuff together but she did not fall if you will as far as i did i mean she's left evangelicalism too but i mean i think honestly she'd probably be open to going possibly be open to going back to an evangelical church at some point maybe not as a full-time member but i mean there's me i'm i'm done there's nothing there's nothing for me there i mean i'm not saying i mean our our closest friends um that we ha- uh live next door to us now they go to uh an evangelical church i mean we're i'm friends with them i have no problem with that but i'm not i'm i'm done with that religion um i mean she yeah me being comfortable not knowing i think is hard for her she'd like like she said like she's like i i'd like to feel like you're moving towards something i'm like I, I don't feel like I'm moving towards something because I feel like, it, you know, I'm here. I'm where I need to be. And I don't feel – other than the fact that it's hurting her, I don't feel a need to move past it. And I, I, I can't just move myself past it because of her, unfortunately. I, I, I can't – you can't make yourself do that. It doesn't work. Um, but, you know, the thing I always tell her, I'm like, I don't think our beliefs are as different as you think they are because, I mean – she still believes in Jesus, obviously, and I'm not even saying I I don't. I have a huge amount of doubt in regards to him, but I'm not I'm not completely writing him off. But I mean, she doesn't. She's not. I mean, she doesn't witness to people. She doesn't really believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, she likes the Bible, but she doesn't look at it the way she used to. Um, I mean, obviously, she goes to a very liberal church, um, and I mean a lot. You know, she, I think the main thing is. It was something we had in common, and now it's not, and that that really hurts for her. Whereas it it doesn't feel that way for me. I don't know if it's because I'm a guy or what, but I mean, I can look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's unfortunate, but it just doesn't affect me the same way it affects her. So as far as my kids, I mean, we 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 when this started happening, we had we had this was not easy because. I was very much against teaching our kids any kind of religion, didn't want anything to do with it. But I reached a point where I'm kind of okay with it. Like my oldest daughter went through a phase that every kid goes through, you know, around four or five. She, she's coming to terms with death. Like she still never experienced a death in the family, but like she's coming to terms with the fact that, yes, this is something that happens to everybody. Yes, it's going to happen to mom and dad. Oh, it's not going to happen for a long, long time, you know, hopefully. Not that we don't really st- – that part, but, <laughs> um, and seeing her go through that, and she, 
I can already tell has some of my anxiety issues. And I mean, we're, we're working with her to try to give her tools to deal with them. But seeing her go through that, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Saying like, yeah, yeah. When you die, we just all go to heaven. It's a big party. Like, I, I, I don't feel like that's a lie. Cause I don't know what happens after we die. I mean, that's, that's kind of a cop out, but that's kind of how I view it. Like if it helps her now deal with that, I mean, get to an age where that's not enough, clearly, and she's going to want to know more. But a lot of my beliefs at this point are so abstract that you can't explain them to an eight. Even now, when she's eight, I can't explain most of them to her. Like, she, it, I mean, so she, they go to Sunday school, um, which for the most part I'm okay with, although there was – I don't really know how this happened, but there was sort of a a – Splinter group of Sunday school for some of the older kids. So they were watching this video series that, so my oldest daughter was watching it and, um, I was overhearing it from the kitchen where I'm doing coffee hour. I'm like, it's talking about Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> not this. I mean, obviously it's, it's not, it's still not nearly as bad as what you would get in an evangelical church. But, um, and then, uh, so what the deacon, um, she's very nice, but she was there watching it and then somehow launches into the story of Job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, obviously sort of a, a dumbed down version for kids, but I'm like, um, yeah, come here. I need you to help me out in the kitchen. So that's how I dealt with that. And I told my wife, I was not happy about that. So I don't think they're doing that anymore. <laughs> so I think it's just regular Sunday school for the time being. So, I mean, as, as they get older, I'll talk to them more about stuff like that as they're able to handle it. And so we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants there, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's most apparenting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, she, she asked me what an atheist was. I'm like, yeah, it's someone who doesn't believe in God. She's like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, well, why is that stupid? Like, like I didn't like not to put her on the spot. I just kind of wanted her to think about it. Like, well, you know, you don't have to believe in God. I mean, it's okay. And she said, the time she said, dad, does God control the weather? And I said, well, I don't know, but if God does control the weather, he's not doing a very good job. And she said, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, well, for the most part, you know, we live in new England. We our weather's pretty good here. Right. She said, yeah. And I said, well, there's parts of the world that get droughts and floods and earthquakes. Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, I just left it at that because I'm, I'm not trying to attack her eight-year-old faith or anything. I'm just sort of trying to help her think through some of this stuff. And if she thinks through it and decides she still wants to be a Christian, that's great. And if she thinks through it and decides she wants to lean more toward my view, that's obviously better. But no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But um, I don't know. I, I, I can't figure it out for them. I can help them, but that's, that's all I can do. So, yeah, they've been baptized in the Episcopal Church. Um, other than that, they don't really do First Communion or anything. I think they do confirmation. So, yeah, yeah, they do. My wife actually got confirmed. Um, so we'll see how they feel about that when it's time for that. I mean, that's like you said, that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. So just um, moving moving back a little bit um, to – Jumping back to kind of your your college time, I know we're. I'm just uh, want to unpack that a little bit too. Sure. Um, so, did you go to like a public a public school or a state school? Uh, no. Oh, no. you didn't. Um, I I guess it was it wasn't a state school, so I guess that makes it a private school. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah I went to WPI in Massachusetts. Okay. It didn't have any yeah. sort of religious affiliation at the time. No, no, okay. no, no. Gotcha. Um, so was part of sort of your exploration of your uh, faith at that time and everything, was it um, spurred on by any sorts of classes you took that first year? Or was it just the kind of unpacking and <laughs> the, the freedom of being a college freshman? And everything it was that... it was just the freedom because WPI does they're kind of weird. They don't have core classes. You, you take classes for your major, obviously. And then um, everyone is supposed to take a certain number of humanities classes, but they, they could be anything. So I took history. And none of the history I took really touched on religion at all. So I didn't have the intro to philosophy class, you know, the boogeyman that uh, that evangelicals talk about sometimes, <laughs> you know, saying God is dead or anything like that. Um, no, it was really just, well, A, I stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. And B, it was just having friends who, I mean, yeah, most of my friends didn't really have a religious upbringing. So they had sort of already arrived where I was. Um Yes. I I mean, the the thing is, when you hang around people who think a certain way long enough, you I mean, you don't have to start thinking that way, but it does influence you. I mean, that's something I had to learn. I mean, I think that was part of why I I became an evangelical. I I, I still can't fully explain it. So I'm 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 willing to admit that there may be something more to it, if you want to call it supernatural or whatever. Um, But. You hang around people long enough, they start to influence you. I mean, I thought being gay was great. Who cares? And then I started hanging around all these conservative Christians who didn't think it was so great. And all of a sudden I thought, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I I honestly felt that I'm like, this is God changing me. It didn't feel it didn't feel like I was copying people to fit in. I, I, I don't think I was doing that. I don't I'm not a person who tends to do that. But then when I stopped being a Christian, all of a sudden being gay is great again. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, in a lot of in a lot of ways, like losing my faith felt a lot like gaining it. I I can't fully explain either thing. Like, pretty sure I, I've written before, either on my blog or on a guest post. I'd be like, it feels like my faith just disappeared. Like that's not exactly what happened. It wasn't like you know, I was fine one minute and then boom, gone the next. But it it after it happened, it felt like like if you've been living in a house and you woke up and just the house is gone and you're just in the middle of a field and you're like, what just happened? Because I, I, I don't, any attempt to like try to make myself believe what I used to believe. It's just like that, that part of me is not there anymore, which is a very disconcerting feeling. I mean, there's enough of me there to say I'm still a theist most days, but like, as far as all the other stuff, like, I can't tell you why I used to believe the Bible was the inerrant word of God. That was another person, or, or might as well be another person. Any more than when I believed it, I couldn't tell you why I used to not believe it, other than the fact that, you know, you know the Holy Spirit hadn't yet awoken me to it, or however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. it it's just, I, I was this thing, now I'm this thing, and now I'm another thing. It, it's, it's very baffling. Yeah. I mean, and... <laughs> Yeah, in order the very sort of idea of like in order to lose your to gain your life you must lose it. <laughs> like uh, kind of yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um that and I, I think there's validity to that. I don't know if you've ever have you ever listened to another podcast called You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes? 
Um, yes, I have. I love Pete Holmes. <laughs> yeah. So he talks about that a lot on, on his shows and he, he grew up evangelical. He, he grew up, um, similar, similar to how I did, but in, in the East coast near Boston, um, yeah. you know, and, uh, and he, he has even talked to that fact. Like he, like he, when after it was for him, it was, uh, his own divorce that like really made yeah. him break down. Like he, decon- he began to deconstruct his faith. And then he was after that able to reconstruct it into a new thing. And that new thing is less, right. it's more malleable, but it's still something, you know, there's still something, yeah. something yeah. at work there. Um, which I just recently in this period where, um, where we weren't uh, really attending a church and w- right now we're, we're more in the phase of like trying to find a place to go. Um, that's yeah. kind of where we are. Um, but when we weren't going, I, I think it was either, uh, maybe like homebrew Christianity or another sort of podcast. Um, there was an author that wrote a book called what Christianity is not, and the whole thing is about just describing Christianity by saying what it isn't, which huh. to me is is actually it's and it, apparently it's part of a tradition of theology called apophatic theology, which means huh. describing things through negative theology yeah. and um, <laughs> through through saying saying what God is not. God is love. He is not hate. <laughs> things like that. Right. Um, right. Huh. And that's that rings a bell. Right. Um. So to me, that, like that's kind of where I feel people that that sort of exit evangelicalism. It's a, it's can be a healthy starting place to kind yeah. of begin um, to to rebuild things because you have such a strong example of the things you no longer identify with, um, and, right? And then the thing outside of it. Um, one thing that that I'm. Uh, I'm hoping to write on and talk about is uh, like within evangelicalism in particular, your life is either entirely about God or it's not about God at all. There's no, there's no middle ground. And to me, that's just, (laughs) it's false. There's gotta be, (laughs) there's gotta be something there. There's gotta be more than, more than just a, a, gaping chasm between those things because uh, yeah even if you um you yourself being a being a writer and writing about faith i don't know if you've ever felt the fear of being pigeonholed as the as being the guy that only writes about religion but that like to me is a i and i i know you're doing it anonymously but even so to me uh being uh, being a writer as well that's a been a like an an anxiety inducing idea in my head. Yeah, for no, 10 I, years. I, I I've definitely thought about like, okay, if I ever get to the point of this writing thing where I publish, like, what do I do? Like, do I just start a new Twitter handle, or do I just? Yeah, exactly. What do, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with your know. Twitter handle? <laughs> yeah, well, there's a guy who writes. For, <laughs> he writes for Cracked dot com, um, and he goes by the handle David Wong. So, you know, you're reading this guy articles by this guy and you think, oh, well, okay, this guy's Asian, right? David Wong. That, that's a legitimate conclusion. And then you hear him on the podcast, no. And he tells a story. His name is, um, I don't know, oh, Jason something. So, yeah, when I got on the internet, kind of as a joke, he's like, I wanted to pick the most common name. He, he wanted anonymity. So he said he looked it up and Wong was the most common last name. 
and David was the most common first time. So he was like, great, I'll be David Wong. Well, now he, now he's he's stuck with this name. Um, so yeah, I, I have thought about that. I mean, I haven't really gotten to the point where I've published anything yet, so it's not really an issue. But um, yeah, that, that I've definitely had some of the same concerns. And podcasts also, oh, so awesome. That that's one of that's one of the ways my wife has sort of managed to sort of find that commonality again because we listen to some of the same podcasts. Like for yeah. a while we read the same blogs, like um Rachel Held Evans was one, Elizabeth Esther was another. But we th- what happens with a lot of the popular bloggers is they become authors and they don't blog as much, which is legitimate. So um we started listening to podcasts and uh we listened to one called The Liturgists, um with this guy, really interesting guy. He goes his name is Mike Mahargan, I think, but he goes by Science Mike. Um, it, it, Pete Holmes interviewed him, so you can find an episode oh, really? of, uh, yeah, just really smart guy, really interesting. He loves science, obviously. And, um, he grew up Southern Baptist, went through a crisis of faith when his parents divorced, became an atheist, but was still like church was his job. He was a deacon or, or yeah, I think so. I think that's what it was. So he kept attending church and like faked it for two years before he told his wife, um, was very difficult for him, but he eventually came back to God through science and through mysticism. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he actually just published a book called Finding God in the Waves that we're about half through. It's really good. But um, yeah, if you get a chance, you can listen to Pete Holmes interview him or listen to the liturgists. He also has a podcast he does by himself called Ask Science Mike, where he just answers questions about science and faith. Um, oh, cool. So yeah, so that that's been really good for us. Um, yeah, obviously I started listening to you guys. Um, the the other one I listened to is called Drunk Ex Pastors. Oh, really? And it's, yeah, it's these two pastors who are really good friends. Um, used to be conservative pastors. One is now Catholic. One's an agnostic. And that they're more they're just funny. Like they honestly, a lot of times they don't even talk about religion that much. They're just really funny. Um, <laughs> my wife doesn't like that much, much but, but I really <laughs> like it. Um. Yeah. So yeah, pod, podcasts have been really good. I mean, they're I, they're kind of like the new church in some in some ways. You know, I mean, you yeah, can, you can sort of belong to this group that you know hears the same thing every week. And yeah, I think there's a there's something to being a to being like a a, a fan and and like yeah. an attendee of a religion. Um, yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree. You, you have like a commonality of experience and something to yeah. kind of keep, uh, yeah, something to talk about, something to to think about. Um, yeah, I've I listened to a couple episodes of the the uh, science um, or the liturgists, um, mm-hmm. and and really enjoyed it. I um, yeah, I I want to. My wife is actually a scientist, so I want to kind of tell her oh, about cool. it too. Um, but. But, uh, yeah, and I think um, what you mentioned as far as through mysticism, I think that's probably what a lot of people may start to work towards. Uh, the uh, the Pete Holmes interview with uh, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar, is ph- uh, phenomenal, and his books are are yep. very good and a very different expression of uh, Christianity than what My you wife find. really likes him. I, I've tried to read some of his stuff. I just it, – it's very dense. 
Yeah, it can be. And, you got to be in a certain mindset. It, to yeah, sort of it, it's absorb. it's not an easy read. <laughs> but I've I've listened to I, I do enjoy his interviews though. Yeah, his interviews are yeah. good. He, uh, you know, but he talks about like the false self and the true self and all these things. Yeah. That, um, depending on which book you're reading, that um, when you you kind of have to dive in and just <laughs> hope that the yeah. the, the terminology yeah. the terminology begins to uh, reveal itself yeah. to you. <laughs> but uh but yeah it's um yeah. it's it's uh it, i think that mysticism that those sort of mystic traditions have been very untapped especially yeah. within uh, yeah. within evangelical circles and as people begin to sort of explore outside of it i think it'll be a more validated sort of tradition than what we've seen in the past um yeah um i don't know if there's anything else you might want to talk about uh especially in relation to both either either the sort of church drama that that you saw and was a, were a part of or this more personal thread that you have with your 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 family or if you kind of have said your piece I'm totally happy uh to kind of leave it at that um yeah I uh yeah there's not a whole lot more to say I mean, I, I definitely feel like the experiences have changed me. I mean, my wife does too, but she says, you know, you're not as trusting as you used to be. I'm like, oh, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> once you've been burned, I mean, you, you you can't undo that. I mean, and I, I I do think of myself as a pretty cynical person. I've always kind of been that way, although that kind of weirdly got put on hold during my 10 years as a, as a Christian. But um, – I mean, I still am. I don't, a lot of people see it as a bad thing. I don't, I mean, I can, I can still trust people. I can, I can still, you know, I can, I can still believe that good things will happen. Even if, you know, part of me is uh, kind of rolling my eyes, even as I'm saying it. Um, well, yeah, there is one thing I'd like to mention. So talking about um, the book I was reading by, by science, Mike, he talks about um, having different, sections of your brain. He loves to talk about neuroscience. Um, he actually, he actually mentioned epilepsy, funnily enough, um, <laughs> talking about how um, early treatments of severe epilepsy involve severing the connection between the two halves of the brain. Yeah. And it worked, but it also led to this thing. Uh, what is it? A uh, phantom hand syndrome or something like that. Basically this one patient was going to give his wife a hug with his right hand and he punched her with his left hand. Like, didn't like did not want to punch her didn't but 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 it just happened and they're like okay maybe we should investigate this and they they could find that patients who had had this treatment had a much clearer separation to the point where they could um somehow they set it up so they were asking them these questions and they could only oh, what was it i'm probably explaining this badly they were somehow targeting the question toward one half of the brain by targeting making it so that only one eye could see the person asking the question. I think I have that right. Because the eyes are wired up to different sections of the brain. And then people who had had this treatment would respond very differently, like to the point where one half of the brain handles speech. So they would block off, they would ask the question to the other half. and they, So they couldn't speak and answer because that the part of the brain handle speaking wasn't engaged. So they, so they gave them Scrabble tiles to sort of, Oh, uh, spell out, yeah, so they're spelling out answers, and they, you know, they ask this person, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And uh, 
you know, one uh, the part, one half of the part of the good talk said, you know, something, you know, pretty commonplace, like, oh, I want to be, uh, I don't know, an accountant or something. And then the other half of the Scrabble title spells out automobile racer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there's this much clearer separation in the people who have had this treatment. So it's just interesting because, I, like I said, I feel like I'm an atheist and a theist. And that, so that really resonates with me. I'm like, that makes sense. Finally, that makes sense. And like, I can be a cynic and I can be hopeful too, is, is what it comes down to. Hmm. I can hope that if I'm, you know, I've met people um, since all this has happened that remind me of my father in law, just like so happy and cheerful. And part of me is like, okay, watch out for this person because you know what happened last time. Um, and then the other part of me is like, yeah, but we just met this person. Who knows? Like, and it hasn't been anybody really close to me so far. So they're, haven't really tested that, <laughs> but I, I, I can sort of still be hopeful that, okay, they're not going to be like him and yet still tread carefully. You know, it, it's not, it's not all, it's not all one or the other. So, so outside of the trust issue, which is a very large issue and affects a huge part of your life and the way you approach people. Right. How, how, with the way you sort of see yourself now in this sort of in between space of being agnostic how else does that sort of affect your view of people your view of the world um and how is that different than when you identified as a christian ah that's a good question the funny thing was even though you know i am cynical i mean in a weird way i'm a lot less cynical because when you're an evangelical you're told that the whole world is bad and as a default state doomed to hell and that, you know, you kind of have to help push people that way or else, you know, bad things will happen. So, I mean, I'm a lot more positive in the way I look at the world now. Like, I don't, I don't have to view every person I meet as, like, a, a project. I mean, like I said, I was never really into the whole witnessing thing, but I felt a lot of guilt about that. Because, again, it, it was the same thing as when I was a Catholic. I couldn't just say, like, well, I'm going to go to church and write my donation check and – uh you know, attend small group, read the Bible, and call it a day. I like I had to try and do everything, and uh, I mean, not having that now, it's way more peaceful. Obviously, I mean, I can I can just view people as people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I I if I find out that someone is an evangelical, I mean that obviously. Obviously, I'm I'm gonna have a biased view of them. I mean, I, I I can't not. But I mean, like I said, our our closest friends right now go to a go to an evangelical church. Um, that sounds kind of bad. It sounds like when people say, "Oh, I have a lot of friends that are black," but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I I like them. I mean, I'm not gonna talk about religion with them. I, I mean, I, I don't. I just don't feel the need to engage on that. I mean, my wife did at one point try to get me to come to a Bible study with them. She's like, "Well, you know, you have a really interesting point of view," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, but I, it's it's not my job to share it with people that I don't." Well, of course, I have a blog, so that kind of negates that. But if I'm going <laughs> to share it, that's how I'm going to share it. It's going to be online, anonymous, and if I get any hate about it, I can just ignore it. I've actually gotten a surprisingly small amount considering the stuff I write about. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, again, I'm an introvert, so that's part of it. I, I'm not going to go to a Bible study with a bunch of evangelicals and talk about religion. That, that just sounds 
horrible. And not because <laughs> not, not they're horrible people, but, but it, I, I find now when I talk about religion, I get angry very quickly and I start being sarcastic and nasty. And I don't like that. And I don't want my friends to have to be exposed to that. So why am I going to do that? Really? It's just going to end badly for all involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a very so self-aware, I, that's a very self-aware thing to, you know, <laughs> to be conscious of. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I will, I will dodge the topic and I mean, I actually carpooled, uh, during the past year with a friend from my old church, who's still very much in the evangelical mindset. Very nice guy. We're both writers. We talk about writing a lot. And like, I, I, of course, <laughs> it's like I have a superpower now because I can tell when he's trying to steer the conversation toward that. And I wouldn't let him, <laughs> <laughs> I would just purposefully not take the bait every time. Like and my, my, and you know, my wife said, well, why do you do that? He's your friend. I'm like, well, the way I look at it, I do it because he's my friend. Like, I don't, I, I don't deal with conflict well. I really don't deal with conflict well with my friends. I don't need to have a deep religious discussion with every friend that I have. I, I, that I, I can have friends who are like my close personal friends that I talk about this stuff with, and I can have like you know rings outside of that of, of that. And he's my friend. I talk to about writing on the way to, from and to work, and that's fine with me. That's that's just how I am. She's she she doesn't see it that way, but that's <laughs> yeah, that's, sort of the way. That's, that's uh, sort of the way I see it. That's that's totally fair. You don't whenever you shift from talking about football to something you heard at small group, then talk to talk yeah. about football. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I yeah, I mean, yeah, in a weird way, it has made me a lot more positive just about humanity in general. Like, we're not just this hopeless, evil mess that needs, you know, a supernatural power to pull us out of it. I mean, so it's I mean, made you more, I mean, to uh, to put a label on it, it's it's made you more, it's given you some more humanism or human. Yes, yes, that's exactly I mean, obviously, I mean, you can just, I was going to say open a newspaper, but nobody does that. You can go to Google News and find 10 examples any day to counteract that statement. I, I, I get that. But again, it's, it's the two mindsets at once. I can, I have more hope for humanity now, even though I can see like, oh, oh God, like it's not going to be easy, you know? Um, but yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know, oh, we're going to have to get rid of religion completely to to do that. I, I, I don't think that, I think we're going to have to get rid of some of the ideas that come along with certain religions, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, it's okay to have a complicated relationship with these things. Exactly. You know, yeah. That, to, yeah. To be able to, to critique something and still be, uh, still have some sort of leaning towards it or, you know, wanting some, yeah, something, uh, yeah, yes. it's, it's okay to feel complicated <laughs> and conflicted. Yeah. It's okay to, yep. to feel conflicted too. So, um, um, so, uh, did you have anything else you, you wanted to touch on at all? Um, I, I feel like we got a really good sense of, um, this part of your, your story, this part of your life. And I'm really thankful you, you, um, you were able to talk today. Especially yeah, yeah. on a Sunday, I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're a football fan, but I mean, this is a Sunday we're talking. Uh, no, I, 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 
Well, I, pre- I appreciate your sacrifice then. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sports person. I'm a software engineer. I uh, pick yeah, last no. for gym class every time. So, <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm a very fair weather uh, sports fan. So. <laughs> I, I do root for the Red Sox. Got to root for the Red Sox. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, well, and honestly, even if I wanted to, I don't have time to watch sports anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Cubs fan, so we stole your guy. Uh, <laughs> we stole Theo, but you know what? If he can, yeah. if he can work his magic um, against our curse, then uh, yeah. yeah, I, I <laughs> no. When it was when it was looking, what's that one year? It looks like it was going to be a Cubs Red Sox World Series. That was that was yeah. Was that, that was, the first year Boston won? I think it was. Uh, it might have been. Yeah, yeah. It was. I was. I was a true Boston fan. I doubted until the last out of the last game. Yeah, that's, I, I, that that was. One of the few times that's I've just watched tr- sports. Yeah. That's just tr- strategic, though. <laughs> talking as, <laughs> yeah, um, talking as a as a Cubs fan. That, I mean, that was the first yeah. time I watched baseball since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I like I didn't even you know the infamous Bill Buckner thing. I I didn't see that. I was seven when that happened. I, I didn't care about sports. My father never did either. Um, but you know, I I heard about it, and you know, the the last out was uh, of the of the game for the World Series, like a ground ball to the first pace. I was like, oh god, don't let it go between. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when they when they won the first game of the ALCS that year after losing three, like I was mad. I was like, just lose, so we can just <laughs> go home and get this over with. What what are you doing? And then you know they won game two. It was like, what? No, no, stop. And then game three, and I was like, well, <laughs> no one's ever done it before, but they only have to. Win. And then they won another one. Then I was like, "Oh, great! Now they're going to lose the World Series. Thanks a lot." But uh, well, there's that conflict, conflict within yeah. you know, <laughs> belief, belief and disbelief, and all. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a. Uh, I grew up in Indiana, but um, we have some old family friends that are Yankee fans. Um, uh, because there are Yankee fans everywhere. It's kind of, of course. But anyways, yeah. Um, uh, he, uh, it was like my, my parents, friends that have been lifelong friends or whatever. And, um, and so they, <laughs> they were hopeful for another, you know, feather in their cap that year. And then yeah. my, it was my, my dad's friend. It was like a husband and wife, you know, uh, friends for my parents and the husband, like had to preemptively email everyone after Boston beat came back and beat them in the ALCS. And then it was just called, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> it was like, do not talk to me. <laughs> that was his, his approach, uh, about it all. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, we're, we're hoping to get some of that Theo Epstein magic. Uh, yeah. This I year. wish you luck. <laughs> But um, thank you so much for for joining me today. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, at heretichusband.com and uh, at heretichusband on Twitter. Uh, um, I do also have a Tumblr, which is actually not religion. It's more uh, pop culture, uh, heretichusband.tumblr.com. Um, so, but I do have a Facebook page as Heretic Husband, but I don't really post there a lot. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that's well, people can find me. Well, great. Uh, thank you. Very, right. Thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me.